after all this time. Now you come to visit me, brother. Why? To mock. I need your help. But I wish I could trust you. If you did, you'd be the fool I always took you for. Some believe that before the universe, there was nothing. They're wrong. There was darkness, and it has survived. What's gonna happen? I gave you my word. I would return for you. Face an enemy, known only to a few, known only to one. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help. If we do nothing, they will destroy us. You even think about betraying him. I'll kill you. That was from New York. I like her. Thor, your bravery will not ease your pain. Your family, your world will be extinguished. We're running out of time. The very fabric of reality will be torn apart. I'll find a way to save us all. Let's see if I can get Bill before we go too far here. See, he was messaging me earlier, some sob story. I can't make it. I got going on. <laughs> it's, you know what? That's exactly what he said. In fact, he wrote those words. <laughs> Back to the bin. Greetings. Hey. Spataro Residence. That sounds better. Much better. For now. Bill? Mm, yeah, sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah there we good. go. All right. Okay. Cool. I think that works. I don't like it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like All it right. one bit. Let's see. Where's the drop Paul out button? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a specific Skype button for that. <laughs> All right. Who's bringing us in? Not me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I think we all took a step back, and Scott is still standing there. <laughs> Scott's God like, what? Damn it! <laughs> all right, I'll do it. Wait, Jesus. wait, wait! 
I just wanted to say say one thing to Tom real quick. Um, so now I started listening to the God Bomb stuff, and it seemed like every time I was listening to it, I was going into Home Depot. So now when I go into Home Depot, I'm automatically thinking of God Bomb and Thor, and you're in my head. So get out of my head, Tom. <laughs> Stop renting space in my head. Never, never. And I wanted to tell Tom I loved Silence of the Lambs. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much. You know, I, I wrote that when I was like 11. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, you, you, would have, you would have written Black Sunday when you were about 11. Silence of the Lambs probably would have been about 30. And I wrote I'm Okay, You're Okay when I was even younger than that. We also have uh, published author Dr. William Robinson with us. Uh, you don't want to know what he writes about. I figured it was lost in space, but you know. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know if you if you were listening to us back when he uh, earned that moniker. But was it sexual dysfunction of some sort, Bill? I didn't write that book. <laughs> so you claim, except except it had your name all over it. That was Honeywell. No, it was William J. Robinson. I'm William F. Robinson. Yeah. What does the F stand for? You you don't need to know, <laughs> or you already know. Am I going to get a lie I, I, out of you, no, I, I had a great line there, but I, I can't. Please share it. with us. Share. I can always edit it out later. <laughs> I was thinking, have you ever watched that that thing on YouTube, The 100 Greatest Movie Insults of All Time? Yes. <laughs> he said it was William F. <laughs> that's what the F stood for. I'm thinking, F*** you, that's my name. <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking when I asked what the F stands for. Well, that's exactly what I was implying, okay, too. Okay, all right. All right, we were all on the same page then. So I'm, not leaving, I'm leaving that in. I'm just going to bleep it out when you say No, it. don't leave that in. I can just bleep it out. That reminds me. Bleep you. What What was the thing with you bleeping, like, every curse word in, like, three or four shows in a row? What was that all about? I don't, I, like, That was, like, family so friend. much work. Oh, okay. Well, you, I mean, I've been doing a lot of editing work on them lately. I know you have. Appreciate the effort I'm putting into these shows. No, I do, but it's it's like all of a sudden you were bleeping like everything, and I'm like, okay, does he think like all of them need to be bleeped, or because I I just was hoping I hadn't created the wrong impression. I bleep the f word, and that's it. That's the only one. That's the only one. That's Scott. I don't think anything has to be bleeped. Sometimes I just do it because I think it makes it seem more uh, raw. <laughs> Actually, I do think swearing is funnier when it's bleeped. I don't know why, but it just amuses me more when it's bleeped. Well, it's like hence pro- my yes, hence that wonderful promo with the words that didn't need to be bleeped, but <laughs> made it so much better. I love that. All right, are we ready to jump into this? La, <clears throat> la, 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 la. Mm. Oh, you guys are killing me. Ah. Come on, start the show. <laughs> What's wrong with you? What Get not- on with it, Nave. Hello, and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is our obligatory coattails riding Thor, the Dark World episode. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Yes. Shameless, obligatory. Shameless, coattails. that was the word, that was the word. I knew there was another word in there. Please start I- again. <laughs> no. <laughs> My name is Scott Gardner, and I am joined, as always, by my good friends, Paul Spataro. Who should have introduced the episode. <laughs> really should have. And Dr. Bill Robinson. I really got to get this Scott Gardner life model decoy fixed. <laughs> and 
we have a special guest for the fourth chair this time. We have with us from the Radio Free Asgard podcast, Mr. Tom Harris. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be on a show that I don't have to edit. <laughs> well, I know the feeling. <laughs> let's let's all try and do this in a clean manner so I don't have to do too much editing. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you've, you've already you've already shown your your uh, ability in in the intro. Scott goes blue. Oh no 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 no! So yes, this time around, talking about Thor, and we have all picked different Thor books from different eras of Thor, just to uh, kind of uh, what would you say? Compare and contrast, highlight some of our favorites, some of the differences of the different eras of Thor, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, I think it's more of the compare and contrast than it is favorites, because the book I picked is historically significant, but it's not really a great book, much like when I did the Mandarin book for the Iron Man episode. You are all about taking a bullet for the team, sir. I am. I am a team player, my friend. I will argue that it's not a great issue, though, because I laugh greatly when because uh, I like this story. I, I, we'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm very familiar with this particular story from a different medium. So I want to oh, talk yes. about that when we get there. But uh, uh, I, I went when we get to mine, I went basically with my favorite issue. So and then I know that, uh, Tom, you went with uh, you said it was your first issue of Thor, right? First, first issue of Thor I ever bought was 12 years old, and that made an indelible impact. Now, on your show, have you given your Thor origin story? My Thor origin story? My Thor origin story? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've never been trapped when in a cave. When you were walking through the cave and found your first <laughs> issue of Thor and slammed it against the wall? I was introduced to I was introduced to Thor at the same time I was introduced to most of the Marvel universe and that is uh, the uh, summer between my twelfth and thirteenth birthdays and uh, I was uh, was uh, moving from Ohio to Florida at the time and uh, for the first time in my life I actually had an allowance and that was the summer when Marvel put out these giant size issues of all of the major titles right. And so Thor was was one of them, obviously. But you know, it's Fantastic Four and Thor and Iron Man and Captain America, and the only two of that that summer's giant sizes I did not get were Daredevil and Spider Man. And to this day, those are my least favorite Marvel characters. <laughs> now, if, if I'm remembering correctly, and I didn't do any homework on this issue, but uh, the giant sized Thors I don't think were any new material. I think they were all reprints. Correct. It was- it was a reprint of uh, the uh, Journey to Mystery Annual Number Two. Number Two? Oh, yeah. okay. I thought it was Number One when he meets Hercules. No, it was the uh, it was the uh, story where uh, the Enchanters. Ah. Uh. It was it was a great story. So what what issue did you pick, Bill? Um. Oh. Okay. Back I... to Tom. So. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Old Father Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... Ah, uh, risen. All right, let's just keep this simple. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. I gotta pull my Asgardian weight here. Now you said you moved to Florida? Yeah. But your your Skype says you're in Chicago now. Yeah, it's a little oh, okay. Where did you live in Florida? Uh, we lived on the west coast of Florida, uh, first in Cape Coral. Then we lived on uh, Sanibel Island for a few years and then uh, uh, moved away from Florida and then came back to Florida. And so kind of basically southwest Florida, Lee County area. Cool. You ever get back uh, back this way? I get down occasionally. I've got uh, relatives that live in Orlando. So oh, there you go. Yeah, I get down there every now and then. We'll have to meet up sometime. Maybe, maybe I'm going to be down there uh, probably during the winter sometime. Ooh, ooh! I'm over on, I'm over by Tampa. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my my brother lives in St. Pete Beach, so. Oh, okay, oh, okay. yeah, yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, speaking of uh, Orlando and Florida, generally leads in in some weird way to speaking of Disney. This is my attempt at a segue, and it's not working very well. <laughs> Well played, sir. Did you see? I posted a little link on the new uh, Thor ride. Yeah, well, it's not so much a ride. It's it's essentially it's just a meet and greet location, but it's pretty awesome, man. They have an actual meet and greet with Thor at Disneyland now, and I am so jealous. That needs to make its way out here because that looks really cool. And the and the guy, at least the one that's in the photo, the guy uh, that's playing Thor. I mean, he really looks like him too. He looks well, that's like a guy. Uh, oh, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. I didn't blow up the photo. I thought it was just like a like a big wax statue mannequin or something. Oh, you know, it, for for that matter, it could be because I mean, it looks so much like Chris. What's his name? Hem Hemsworth. Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, Honeywell. Yeah, right. Hey, I'm Oh, Columbus. <laughs> anyway. Do we want to go ahead and just jump into this? Because we well, have three books to cover. So. I do, but I want to... One more thing before we get into it. I just want to... I, I've been relatively spoiler-free for the new movie. I don't think mm -hmm. the trailers at this point have given away too much. <clears throat> but I just figure, uh, poll the group and see what everybody's thinking about. You know, how where, where your expectations are for this one. Mine, I have to be honest, are crazy high. Um, for a couple of reasons. I'm a, I'm a big Thor fan. Uh, I really love the character. And I'll be honest, the, the first one has given me probably too high expectations because I went into the first movie incredibly skeptical. I went into it thinking, there's no way this is going to work. I'm going to try not to be one of those anal retentive nitpicky fanboys, but I'm probably going to fail. And this movie's just not going to be any good. And I came out going, wow, I really like As a matter of fact, I just watched it again this afternoon. Um, I still, to this day, I, I only have one major quibble with that movie, um, but I'm going to save what that is because the same month, I believe that this episode is going to come. Well, yeah, it comes out next month. So the same about the same time this episode is going to come out, uh, Chris Honeywell and I are going to do a, a commentary for the first Thor movie. Oh, cool. And so I'll discuss what my what my quibble is. But 
I mean, it's nothing huge. It's just essentially there's one scene that I'm I, every time I watch it, I'm like, it, it's kind of grown worthy. But other than that, I really enjoyed the movie. And so it has given me uh, a lot of faith that the second one can be that much better because I, I really enjoyed it. But I think if the focus is more on, uh, you know, Asgard and the and the godly realms and more of the mytholo- uh, mythological side of the story, because I thought the movie, the first movie struck a great balance between, you know, the, the, the classic Kirby feel and the earth based stuff. And, and the second one looks anyway like it's going to be much more Thor in his Asgardian element. And if that's the way they go. And again, they they do a very like Lord of the Rings kind of feel to it. I think it can be epic. I think it could really be something, and it looks good. But at this point, I've I've seen like I think it's the first two trailers, and that's it. I've I've stayed away from everything else because I I agree with all the people that are saying they're giving us too much in trailers these days, especially with the Marvel movies. And I I don't want to know the whole thing before I go to the theater, so I'm I'm staying away. I mean, they got my money anyway. I'm I'm guaranteed to go, so I really don't need to see the whole movie in previews before I get to the theater. Yeah, I, so I enjoy being surprised at the th- at the movie itself when there's exactly. something in there. Yeah. Uh, just to give my thing really quick, I, I agree with you. My my expectations, despite my every effort to keep them down, are probably through the roof. I just really expect a lot. Uh, Saturday, my kids and I are going to do a, a double feature of the first Thor movie and the Avengers. In prep to go see it next Friday, so but I'm just really looking forward to it. So Scott, are you going to do a commentary on uh, Thor meets the Hulk? Hmm, <laughs> that's not a bad idea actually. I, I the TV that. movie. Oh, that one, the yeah. Return of the Incredible <laughs> Hulk. You know, I could do one for that. Y- y- you're going to laugh, but I liked that um, when I was a you know when I was a kid when it ever came out. I actually videotaped that and probably watched it. A million. I watched it so much I could practically recite it. With the and dad. Back, good luck, Charlie. Yeah, everybody says that, but I don't even know what that show is. Oh, because yeah. you, you don't have any daughters. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, at the time it came out, I mean, you know, it was it was what it was for its time. The only thing that ever really seriously bothered me about that was when Blake comes to Banner for the first time and he pulls Mjolnir out of the bag, I'm like, no, 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 no. Because, like, everybody handles it, including Banner, like, just picks up the hammer. And I was waiting, I mean, I'm sure every geek boy in America that was watching that was waiting to see, you know, is it going to be the classic story, you know, where, you know, only Thor could lift it. And, like, no, everybody passes it around. And I'm like, ah. But other than that, I mean, you know, it was what it was. It was hold this great, for a minute? But, yeah, Hand exactly. me the hammer. I got to crack a couple walnuts over here. Thanks. <laughs> Tom, well, my, how about you? Uh, my expectations for the movie, I'm, I mean, I, I like, uh, like Paul, I'm trying to keep them low. Um, I've seen enough of the, of the trailers and the various footage that's leaked out that I think it's going to be a really, really fun ride. I'm just hoping that they don't amusement park it too much. Um, right. Kind of, kind of like what they did with the Temple of Doom and the, you know, the mine car ride, and like what they did with the Hobbit with all the extra stuff that they put into that. You know, I, I, I would really like to see a, a lean story, a nice, compact, you know, concise story that that really makes sense. And I think we're going to get it. I'm hopeful we're going to get it, but who knows? What did you think of the first one? I, I really liked the first one a lot. I actually did a review of that in. Uh, 
episode number five of my own show. Shameless plug there. But uh, uh, I thought that they did as well with the property as they possibly could. It's really hard to make a good comic book movie and have it be true to the comics because of the huge differences between the two mediums. But I thought they did a great job with it. Absolutely. I did, too. I did, too. Well, and Bill, what what book did you pick? (laughs) Uh... I had computer problems. It's not my fault. (laughs) There were locusts. (laughs) Locusts. A plague! <laughs> For the love of God! <laughs> it wasn't my fault! My fault. <laughs> did it. Loki will always take the blame. Loki right, did well, it. I Loki guess, messed uh... up my computer. Yes, it was me, Loki! <laughs> Just a Loki virus. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I've, uh, I've got... I'm, I'm excited to see the movie, too. Oh yeah, Bill. What do you think of the movie? <laughs> Nobody cares what you think, Bill. Oh, come on! I'm, I'm excited to see the new <laughs> Thor movie. I, you know, I'm I'm in the movie. I'm actually Thor, uh, but you know, they, what is this? I play Miles. No, I mean, I, I, I play Major. I'm the Hammer. Come on, you can't pick me up. Be a puny, puny. Only Thor. God damn it! It's not a tumor. <laughs> no, he fights the Submariner. I, I can't even say I'm, I'm just a hammer. <laughs> Who could Arnold play in a Marvel Universe movie? Mm, cable? <laughs> Come on! I'm Cable. I go through the time. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, I got a glowing eye. Yeah. Isn't, uh, I think he's already been cast because I think he's going to be in it, but uh, isn't Ronan the Accuser going to be in Guardians? Oh, I could see I Arnold as Ronan the yeah, Accuser. Yeah, I accuse you, Scott Gardner, of not watching my movies. I'm accused. I accuse him. So put, put down my cigar now. Come on. Could, <laughs> no, Arnold would be the supreme intelligence. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I'm a big giant head. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, no! Yeah, I got yeah. it. Terax the Tamer. I could see that. I could see that. Well, the... Terax the Tamer. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Even though it, it's a Russian accent instead of an Austrian, you could see him in like a titanium man armor or a uh, crimson dynamo dynamo armor. Me make him Groot. I'm Groot. <laughs> I'm Big Tree. <laughs> no, you're only supposed to say I'm Groot, Arnold. Please. No, no, come on. I, uh, I am the. I am. I am Arnold. I am Arnold Groot. I'll be I'm back. Groot. No, no, just I am Groot. Please. <laughs> I must leave. <laughs> it was the dawn of the third age of comics. Fifteen years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. 
tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. All right. <laughs> I think it's time to get into this thing now. Look, see, see Bill, this is the, the parental guidance we've been missing for the last couple of months. I know, we would have still been going. <laughs> this is where we'd go into a total... Don't, please don't make me be the parent, because it, it's just not good for anybody. Just just look hey, at my hey, kids. Hey, it's not even make for Scotty and Logan. <laughs> exactly. Don't make me pull out my cat x-rays. <laughs> I don't think Tom knows about that. He may not have listened to that 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 episode. I, 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 I've seen the, uh, the clip. But... <laughs> oh, see, you've traumatized the poor man. Leave him alone. It's a cat with a few holes in its belly. Oh, meow. it's disgusting. <laughs> meow, meow, I got to go. Oh, come on, I just ate. <laughs> come on, clean my litter box, let's go. Paul, do play, your book. <laughs> play a promo, god damn it. Play a promo or something, and then we come back. We'll be right back. Uh, remember, remember when I was in Orlando, we were talking about what the listeners like? I'm not sure this is it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I enjoy it, so it's okay. All, All right. right, so we've decided we're going to go in uh, chronological order for when they were released, and I have the oldest book, so I'm going to bring us back into, uh, into into format and actually start my book. I picked Journey into Mystery number 85, which has a cover date of October of 1962, which happens to be the birth date of two of the people on the show right now. Woo! Very exciting, isn't it? Yes. Uh, exactly. Had a cover price of twelve cents, and it's the third appearance of Thor ever, and the first in which Lee and Kirby actually started to tap into the rich Norse Norse legends and introduce As- Asgard and the other gods of the silver into the Silver Age. But apparently, doing a tiny bit of research into this, Loki had appeared in the 1950s series Venus, and that has now been considered to be part of uh, canon. So this is not the first appearance of Loki in the Marvel Universe. The cover is by Jack Kirby and Dick Ayers. And it tells us, Never before has the mighty Thor faced a foe as dangerous as Loki, the god of mischief. Well, it's only his third issue, so I'm not really surprised by that. Uh, the cover has kind of a very strange composition. It shows Thor in the foreground, startled, and Loki standing atop a tower. And I guess he's supposed to be threatening but he kind of looks like he has saddle sores and standing, you know, in a kind of a gingerly fashion. Uh, there are people between them who are drawn smaller due to the distance from the foreground. But Loki, although apparently further away, is much larger than they are. So it's kind of a really strange composition. Our uh, story is titled Trapped by Loki, the God of Mischief. And it's written by Stan Lee and Larry Lieber. It's penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Dick Ayers, and lettered by Artie Simic. We open with a splash page showing Thor and Loki balanced on a billboard uh, with the title of the story, and they're looking at each other menacingly. The story opens in Asgard, where Loki is imprisoned within a tree, where it has been declared that he will remain until someone sheds a tear as a result of his plight. And so, as Heimdall, who is the protector of Bifrost, and, more importantly as drawn here, the guardian of the gates of Oz for the wizard... Anyway, as he walks by, Loki causes a leaf to fall from the tree and poke Heimdall in the eye and causes our delicate flower of a protector to shed a tear and free Loki. What Final- 
<laughs> my eye. Maybe maybe Arnold can play that part. <laughs> <laughs> Finally free from his trap, Loki immediately turns his attention to Thor. I have succeeded. At last I am free. Free to cause discord to wreak havoc and to seek revenge against the one responsible for my years of imprisonment. Thor, god of thunder. I shall find him wherever he is by conjuring up an image of his magic Uro hammer. And luckily, before he was imprisoned, he established a mental link with Thor's hammer. Uh, yeah, mental link with the hammer. That's oh. one smart hammer. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he, he finds Thor entertaining children. Uh, in a hospital by using a power that he doesn't actually have and lifting the bed from afar by pointing his hammer at it. And Loki prances down the rainbow bridge in a very delicate manner and dresses in current clothing and goes to the hospital and inquires with a doe-faced woman but doesn't have any luck finding Thor. He decides to lure Thor by creating a disturbance and so in a moment that provides a very cool comic book visual but wouldn't work in any other medium, kind of like what Tom was talking about earlier, he transforms three people into negative versions of themselves and Don Blake happens to be in the crowd looking like a little boy wearing his dad's big fedora and he slips off and slams his walking stick on the ground and converts into Thor. He again uses a power that he doesn't actually have and rotates his hammer fast enough to emit antimatter particles and convert the people back to normal. Loki approaches, but Thor doesn't recognize him until he changes back into his villain garb. And that brings us to part two, the vengeance of Loki. Loki challenges Thor while Jane Foster standing on the sideline thinking uh, to herself like a mewling quim. Uh, actually thinks, Loki, mmm, lovely name, and he seems so dashing and romantic. This is what most of the women in America are thinking these days, I've noticed. Uh, yeah, yeah true. that's a little different. Uh, I mean, I, my thought was that Lo- Thor should uh, ignore Loki and bash her with his hammer. <laughs> oh, he did. <laughs> All right, that's it for this announcement. I never showed that in the comics, though. Anyway, Thor accepts Loki's challenge, and Loki quickly hypnotizes him. He decides that he needs to separate Thor from his hammer and comes up with a really stupid ruse to make him think that he's handing the hammer to Thor. Okay, and once that's done, being the god of mischief, he orders the now hammer-free Thor to set zoo animals free. But 60 seconds after he had him give up the hammer, Thor reverts back to Don Blake, which also frees him of Loki's hypnotic spell. And so Don Blake makes his way to the discarded hammer. And Bill, what song would it be time for? Hammer time! Can't touch this. So he goes to the hammer and he confronts Loki. Loki uses his magic to have all the pigeons in the area fly him away. Uh, yeah. And my pigeon friend. <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> Thor gives... What was that? I'm sorry, Tom. I don't want to see his dry cleaning <laughs> Really? With his nice new 60s suit. Yep. Uh, Thor gives chase, but Loki goes to a theater. Look kind of like Radio City to me. And uh, uses the crowd to keep Thor from swinging his hammer. 
Loki uses a curtain to delay Thor and make his escape. Thor uses the power of wind to get the curtain off of himself. I guess just a, a, a material curtain is strong enough to stop him. I do that to get the blankets off of myself, just saying. <laughs> I'm thinking you, your power of wind is a little different from Thor's. <laughs> he gives chase into, to, to Loki into a subway, who throws some people onto the tracks, and Thor has to save them. Does he sweep down and grab them and just take them off the tracks? No, that would take too long. Instead, he dives down, lays down between them, bench presses the track, which is apparently quite flexible, and it allows the train to just glide right over them. And derail into the station. He does that quicker than he would have just reached down and grabbed them. Okay. So the, the, and the train car goes over them harmlessly and doesn't crash, nothing happens, doesn't even slow down. Once again, uh, Thor pursues Loki who is on a winged horse, which he brought to life from a gasoline sign. But again, because of the crowd, Thor can't swing his hammer and give chase. Loki causes some mayhem, but becomes bored one panel later. A light bulb goes off over Thor's head, and he grabs a large piece of pipe at a construction site and throws it, trapping Loki and knocking him into the water. At this point, we expositionally learn that Loki's powers are useless in the water, a factoid that I'm not sure was ever mentioned again in the, whatever, five, six hundred issues since then. Anyway, Thor concludes that Loki is going to drown and dives into the water to save him. Having saved him, he keeps his, he keeps him wet so that he'll stay powerless, and ties him to his hammer, because what time is it, Bill? Hammer time! He throws the hammer to Asgard, where the hammer drops him off before the silhouetted figures of Odin, Baldr, Tyr, and other astonished gods, and then returns to Thor before the 60-second time limit has passed. We close out the story with a vacuous Jane Forster mewling once again, and a particularly large-headed Don Blake. And that's how our story ends. Hooray! Very, I think kind of an inauspicious debut for one of the greatest villains in Marvel history. I agree. I, I, this is, I'm characteristically weak, uh, but a lot of these early Marvel comics, and particularly these early Thors, are hampered by some of this kind of wonky storytelling. Especially with Thor, like you say, because it seemed it took quite a few issues before they realized where they wanted to go with the character like they weren't sure if he was just a typical superhero or if they were going to go into the Norse mythology and they were going back and forth they'd have him fight you know a communist leader one issue and then he'd be fighting a god the next issue yeah they, they had a cycle that they did with the early Thor stories and, and the cycle with something like this you had aliens Loki communists aliens loki communists and it kind of went on for about 12 issues that way if i'm not mistaken it wasn't really until they started doing that backup feature the tales what was it tales of asgard i think was the name of it yep where they really started to embrace the mythological at all because one of the things that really stands out to me in this story there is absolutely no mention of the fact that thor and loki are brothers yeah that's true I'm not sure that Stan Lee was aware of it, or Larry Lieber, his that younger and somewhat less talented brother. <laughs> I always get a kick out of the fact that in that uh, second-to-last panel, it, it mentions Tyr. Isn't Tyr one of Thor's brothers as well? Yeah, and so was Balder, for that matter. 
yeah. which, which is only in the comics has only been revealed recently, re- very yeah. recently, very recently. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Odin got busy. Yeah, Odin. I, uh, I, I don't want to monopolize time. So if anybody else has got anything else on this, uh, feel free to jump in. But I just had a couple of quick notes. I, I'm very fond of this story, not because it's an especially great story. But because I remember this one very well from it was an episode of the 60 Mar- 60s Marvel cartoons. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was the very first episode for some reason. But when I looked it up the other day, it, it's not. But it's it's one of the early episodes. And uh, I've, I remember seeing that probably more frequently than any other Thor story that they did when I used to watch it. I forget what channel it was that used to play it. I think it was WPIX or one of those out of New York. But I used to love the uh, the '60s Marvel cartoons, and this episode was just uh, especially good. The animation was really good, and as I, we read through this story, I just chuckle because so many of the elements of that episode are lifted straight out of this. I mean, because they used panels mm-hmm. right out of the books, and the one that I always loved is that uh, fourth panel on page three with. Uh, Loki essentially he he looks like he's either skipping or sliding down the rainbow bridge and in the animated cartoon the figure is static but he literally like slides like yippee down, down the rainbow I, bridge it just I believe I used the word up. prancing as I prancing yeah <laughs> yeah very much so I just love that, hey, that bridge um, is slippery. I'm sorry I said that bridge is slippery <laughs> well it's it's pretty st- Pretty steep yeah, angle. It is. It's like a water slide or something. It's it's at a crazy <laughs> angle right there. Maybe Maybe that'll be the new Thor ride. Yeah. That would be cool. Down the rainbow bridge. First you have to poke Heimdall in the eye. Then <laughs> <laughs> you run over to the bridge and you slide down. They have a guy standing here, you throw leaves at his face. <laughs> and until you get one in his eye, you cannot go down. Now, was it in the Simonson run that this was kind of changed and Balder was the one that shed a tear or did I read that in some other Thor comics along the way or am I just completely mistaken? There's, there's a lot of, a lot of the Norse myths involve people crying. Um, and one of the major stories that involves uh, people crying is the death of Balder. So after Balder, they had to go around and, and, uh, you know, they, Hela said that she would release uh, Balder from her realm if they, if, uh, if everybody would cry a tear for Balder. And so everybody did, except for this one giantess name. I think her name was Throck, um, who was actually Loki in disguise. And that's why Balder stayed dead and heralded uh, the coming of Ragnarok. Hmm. That sounds like a song in there. Loki in disguise. <laughs> diamonds, yeah. He's dressed as Throck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, never mind. That's probably not really fair to nitpick too much you know the third appearance of thor but one thing that always has bugged me about this story right from when i was a kid and watching that cartoon is when he sets all the animals free and everything he lays his hammer down or actually he gives it to the false thor that's not really even there so essentially he lays his hammer down on the ground after 60 seconds he reverts back to don blake but doesn't the hammer turn back into the walking stick that's Sometimes been inconsistent. He, right. Yeah, very consistent. Yeah, especially back during this time. Sometimes it would and sometimes it wouldn't. But I think this is the first time I ever noticed it. 
By the way, speaking of that uh, of that cartoon, I just have to point out here, Tom, your promo for your show is one of my absolute <laughs> favorite podcast promos because your Loki voice, I don't know whether you're doing it intentionally or not, but to me is a dead ringer for the Loki voice in that cartoon. Is, is it supposed to be so? I, you know, it's been so many years since I've seen those cartoons that I couldn't know. I just, I just do a generic Loki voice and, um, Oh, it's yeah, not yeah. generic at all. It's right on the no. mark. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. I love it. But every well, time I hear that promo, I just start laughing because it it takes me right back to those cartoons. Well, anybody that's listening, essentially the voice he had. Anybody listening to this episode will have heard that promo already because I'll have mm-hmm. it in by this point. Probably subconsciously, maybe. You know, because I, I saw those cartoons when I was a kid. But um, I just, you know, for the for the voices, I just kind of tried to come up with something distinctive and. Uh, you know, certainly my Jane Foster is distinctive. <laughs> I think you give her too much respect with your imitation. At least the, the, the Jane Foster that's appearing in this issue, where she's sitting there fawning over Loki. You just want to smile. I, I am well. I am well known for my disdain for Jane Foster, especially during this era. Um, and later, later iterations of Jane Foster, I don't find nearly as annoying. But um, yeah. I I would pay I would pay money for a Tom Harris dubbed version of Thor, the movie. Oh, I, I would with, with you to. doing all the voices. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> See if yeah, you can make I, that happen by the time this show airs. We'll have, we'll have Natalie Portman up there. Hi <laughs> <laughs> <Hi>, Thor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you can hear that if you listen to my show because uh, I just did the uh, the two issue prelude to Thor: The Dark World. Yes, uh, yes. So I actually did Natalie Portman's voice. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. That's yeah. okay. We got to expand on that. And Darcy as well. Um, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's get let's get I a little like, preview of your Darcy. Like for sure. Like, uh, <laughs> she's like I do her like a valley girl. But uh, I have like three female voices. <laughs> so And they all sound especially male. They do, yeah. <laughs> That's uh yeah, I've got the well, I've got the old lady voice too. I forget. I've got Frigga's voice. It's like, oh Thor, you're such a dear. It's <laughs> also my sounds like in May. Now in this <laughs> issue that could be the nurse. Yeah. This issue that oh, I just yeah, did. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it could be. And then, then of course I have Jane and, uh, she sounds, there's, there's a bunch of other women in that also sound like her, uh, because everybody sounds like Jane Foster. And then I have Sif's voice, which is distinctive. Uh, and she's more noble and heroic. <laughs> I do lots of ridiculous voices on my show, folks. Yes, I, I've heard. Yep. And anybody else who's listening to this should also make a point of hearing it by now. Well, mm-hmm. I appreciate the plug, and you know, if anybody wants to hear it, they can go to RadioFreeAsgard.com. <laughs> most, so, uh, most of my comments were included in my synopsis, so I don't really have any other notes to go through. So I had, on, I had on, one other note. Mm-hmm. Did anybody else notice that on page 12, next to last panel, Thor is flying? He is not being dragged by Mjolnir? I thought of that, and then I thought... I, I, I kind of gave the explanation of he's not flying, he's diving into the water. Diving, okay, all right. Because I saw uh, that. I guess arguably, thing. yeah, he's tucked tucked the hammer into his belt as he plunged. Yeah, I can, okay, I can buy that. Nice no prize, all right, I can buy that. 
But, you know, on page three where he's using the magnetic powers, I guess, to lift the bed, we saw that same magnetic power in the Avengers 1 issue, remember? When he used it to pick uh, Loki up, I guess, by his metallic underwear. That's right. (laughs) He magnetized Loki's ass to his hammer. I forgot about that. Old lead bottom. Shh, don't remind anybody that we haven't done the second episode yet. <laughs> Shh, well, we did the 1.5 episode, which it's may come out. Scott doesn't know coming. to cut him out. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> you sons of... Oh, okay. All right. I'll fix you. Oh, I have done my homework for the one that we talked about, by the way, and it was awesome, and I can't wait to talk about it. I'm going to have to do okay. my homework yet, but then we'll plan for when we're going to do it. Yeah, I haven't done my homework either. <laughs> Just like I didn't do for this one either. Yeah, what, what, what Lord, Big Phil. See what I got to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I I expect a professional group for the money oh I'm paying God, here. I'm surrounded by amateurs. <laughs> for the money you're paying, you're super, you're lucky to get us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know on the uh, um, you know what he's standing on, Paul? Right in the beginning, you said you weren't sure what look he was standing on. He's standing yeah. on the top of the Empire State Building. Is that the Empire State Building? Yeah, because if you go to the last one, it's the same the same structure, kind of. If you go to the last page yeah, okay, of the story. Yeah, it's pretty poorly drawn. Is he But why is he so to, large? Is he huge? Then? Yeah, that's well, not... I can't answer that question. I was just, you know. And why does he look like he's taking a dump? <laughs> Maybe he goes. He's doing a hip thrust. He wasn't wearing <laughs> his lead pants. He's doing that Beavis and Butthead thing, you know. <laughs> Feel like fat. <laughs> like like the three amigos, didn't they do the thing like? Yeah, they... yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just right, right in the middle of it. That's all. A little crotch thrust there, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I I think we've beaten this one to death. We've exhausted this one. Yes. Oh, thanks for the hammer time cue. <laughs> well, you know what? I was just I I knew that you would pick right up on it without my having. Without my needing to actually, without any prompting, you in that I was that I needed a hammer time uh, moment. You know, I wasn't going to sing it. <laughs> All right, shall we move along? Yes. yes. All right. So, so the issue. I'm sorry. What? No, no, that's no, no, fine. You can interrupt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, the issue that I've picked is Thor number two forty three, January nineteen seventy six issue. Uh, Retail for 25 cents. Oh. Cover art is by Gil Kane and Joe Sinnott. And this is the most un-Gil Kane-looking Gil Kane cover that I've ever seen. Showing Thor facing off against a dinosaur. Yeah, that made me grab it. And uh, he's also being attacked by uh, soldiers on jet skis, who we'll see later. And also what looks like Mongol warriors. And we will find out why. The title of the story is Turmoil in the Time Street. Can even the God of Thunder stand against the legions of time gone mad? We will find out inside the book. And the uh, credits for this issue are Len Wein was the writer. John Buscema was the artist inked by Joe Sinnott. Glynis Oliver Wein was the colorist, the wife of Len Wein. And lettering is by Joe Rosen. And this issue picks up from the previous issue where Thor, the Warriors 3, and Jane Foster, whatever the hell she was doing there, were attacked by the monolithic Servitor, a giant red-faced android. The gang manages to defeat the giant robot, but then are confronted by the Servitor's master, the evil Zarko, the Tomorrow Man. A time-traveling baddie with questionable fashion taste. It looks like he's raided Loki's closet. 
In typical Marvel fashion, the gang prepares to pummel Zarko into green and yellow paste, but Zarko then reveals that he is here not to fight, but to get Thor's help. We're then subjected to a long, rambling exposition scene of Zarko's goings-on, following his defeat by Spider-Man and the Inhumans in Marvel Team-Up number 11. Zarko had returned to his home in the 23rd century, where he was inspired to dress a giant mining robot in pseudo-Roman armor. Taking control of the robot, Zarko entered in his time cube, and after passing through a variety of futuristic eras, ended up in the 50th century. Because remember, folks, the 50th century is a place, not a time. Quickly conquering this era and becoming its king, Zarko is waited on in his futuristic paradise by scantily clad women, and all is well. Well, for Zarko, anyway. Until he learns of the menace of the Time Twisters. Zarko reveals that the Time Twisters are a race of malevolent beings who travel in a spiral pattern backwards through time. Um, okay. <laughs> do they do it with, like, left foot green, right foot blue, that sort of thing? I, I think they take a step to the left and then a jump to the right and then put their hands on their hips, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But anyway, <laughs> but as they as they move backwards in time, they intersect with Earth every 3,000 years, causing enormous destruction in their wake. Uh, Zarko apparently somehow found out that the Time Twisters had recently destroyed the 80th century, whatever recently means to the Time Twisters anyway. The Time Trapper, or the Time Twisters are advancing on Zarko's home in the 50th century. And if the 50th century falls, the 20th century is next. But anyway, for some reason, the heroes decide to believe what Zarko is saying and agree to go with him to the 50th century. Zarko orders his servitor to summon his time cube and the heroes prepare to board the time-spanning craft. Um, just like a woman, Jane Foster demands that she be able to go along and manages to guilt-trip Thor into allowing her to accompany them. Since at this point in Marvel history, Jane Foster is actually possessed by the soul of the Lady Sif. That's kind of important, not in this issue, but the next issue. Meanwhile, back in Asgard, the Allfather Odin, along with his faithful vizier, is spying on Thor and company through his patented cosmic voyeuroscope. Odin is pissed that Thor is once again hanging out with Jane Foster, and despite the advice of his faithful companion, has decided to throw a major hissy fit, which just goes to show that Odin is still a dick. Meanwhile, <laughs> Thor, Zarko, and company face some difficulties in making their way back to the 50th century as Zarko's time cube is shaken from the outside, knocking Volstagg over but causing no other damage, but stopping their progress through time. This is another one of those things that makes absolutely no sense because here the, you know, the time stream is a place that you can visit and has a solid surface made out of clouds. Uh, Thor steps out of the door to find the Tyrannosaurus Rex that we saw on the cover, and since Thor doesn't know anything about his dinosaurs, he calls it a dragon. Um, because Len Weed doesn't know anything about his dinosaurs, he calls it a thunder lizard. We then have a page and a half of Thor fighting the Tyrannosaurus, eventually kicking it off but, uh, the clouds back into the time stream. Uh, but before the gang can relax, the time cube is attacked by a horde of Mongol warriors. Thor, the Warriors Three, and Zarko's servitor manage to uh, battle them away, only to be attacked by a generic jet fighter and a horde of futuristic soldiers riding airborne jet skis. Thor summons one of his trademark Tempests, because weather works in the time stream, which sweeps away the flying jet skis, but also nearly sweeps away the rest of the gang. Once the menace is defeated, 
The time cube continues its way to the 50th century, where Thor and company find that Zarko's future paradise is only a paradise if you're Zarko. The rest of the populace of the 50th century seems to live in abject squalor with no electricity, because Zarko thinks that if he gives them electricity, they're more likely to rebel against him. Go figure. Nobody said that Zarko was smart. Zarko treats Thor and company to some 50th century hospitality, but just as the party is getting started, a thunderstorm heralds the arrival of the evil time twisters. And if Thor and the gang can't defeat them, then all is lost. The end. Excellent job, sir. Excellent job. Thank you very much. So I have a few comments about this issue, of course, like I always do. Um, the whole idea of the time twisters is really stupid. <laughs> um, I, I never understood that. Even as a kid, I thought it was a little bit dumb. I think uh, they should have been a trio of chubby checkers appearing at the end of this. That would have been awesome. Twist Let's again. Th- like we did. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, the, the height, the idea of uh, the time twisters kind of spiraling their way through time every 3,000 years. Okay, it makes for a, a plausible 70s comic book threat, but if you really think about it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, the, well, that's the design the you're not supposed to really think about it. <laughs> right. I, I th- that's it's probably true of, of all these uh, issues. Um, the time twisters look like the, uh, the aliens on Star Trek with the great big heads except they've got these big black uh, eyes that uh, shoot rays out of them, but you don't see that in this issue. Um, the artwork in this issue is absolutely fantastic, and it's mm-hmm. the one thing that really got me cooked on this on this comic. John B. Sema, inked by Joe Sinnott, is a fantastic combination, i got to say. Love it. Absolutely. Um, that really grabbed me when I was a kid, and it kept me buying every issue. Um, and, of course, you have a dinosaur in the issue, so how cool is that? Especially when you're yeah, 12. Yeah. yeah, wasn't Paul, wasn't that your nickname? Thunder Lizard? <laughs> why, why are you saying it past tense? <laughs> okay. Broompa. Uh, I agree totally with Tom on the artwork. John Buscema was, yep. he was one of the masters. I love the close-up of Odin's face when he's all pissy. <laughs> I love, on the page before page 10, I love that hat. Yeah. Where do you buy that? I don't know, but he, Odin, you know, I, I have this thing in my show. Every time Odin changes his clothes, you're supposed to take a drink. <laughs> I would be so drunk. If you were watching one of the 60s Marvel cartoons, you would be hammered by the end. You'd, you'd end up in like a alcoholic coma by the end of the episode. The first, the first 150 issues of Thor, it's the same thing. Every time they show Odin, he's wearing something different. <laughs> Especially like the fur onesie that he wears. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that <laughs> sounds, sounds kind of comfortable. Cozy. I love it. <laughs> it looked really cozy. It was in uh, the, uh, you know, the second Thor annual. Uh, they, ha- they have you know Odin going into the Odin sleep for the first time, and he has this uh, really cool Asgardian <laughs> racing car bed you know, that's shaped like a Viking ship. And, and Jack Kirby just knocked it out of the park. And, and Odin is dressed in this fur onesie that looks so cuddly that you just want to reach out and give a hug. Was that the issue when, when Loki steals the Odin ring and then sends Odin to bed without supper? Do you remember the one I'm talking about? Because they actually had... He steals the Odin ring, which is yet another thing that gives you total power. Then Odin just leaves it laying around. 
And he puts it on, and he makes Odin go into Odin's sleep. So it's like he sends him to bed. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't want to go to sleep. Yeah, shut up and go to bed, Odin. (laughs) Yeah, and he and he goes and he lays down and he goes to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Loki is evil, but uh, yeah, this uh, this is definitely art wise is one of the best from this run, and uh, I I like the uh, all the expressions and uh, the way everybody is portrayed. It definitely was was a grabber. Yeah, and uh, does, does Thor really villain. does Thor really think that the you know, he's talking to the the Thunder Lizard? Does he really? Does he really think he's going to answer him? <laughs> Let go of my arm, I say. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> little little bitty arms, yeah. It's like yeah, Let go of my arms. You, Bill, you talk to your cat. No comment. See, I really like the cover because. You know, you're right. With everything except the dinosaur, I don't know that I would have realized that this was Gil Kane, but the dinosaur gives it away because I think Kane dinosaurs are very, very distinctive because Peter Parker fought a dinosaur that looked a heck of a lot like this when he went to the... um, Savage Land. Savage Land, thank you. um, During Kane's run on Amazing Spider-Man. And Kane also did uh, Jurassic Park sequels for Topps comics there in the, what was that, the 90s, I think. And I just, I think his dinosaurs are very, very distinctive looking, but I really like the cover on this one. Do you know if Kane ever did any interiors on Thor? Not that I know of, but it wouldn't surprise me if he did. I'd love to see that if he ever not, did. Not, yeah, he's he's obviously not an artist who's identified much with Thor. To me, it looks like... Uh, Joe Senator or somebody redrew Thor's face on this because that's not a very Gil Kane looking face. Right. No. Well, it's I, unless I actually, you can see up his nostrils, it's not a Gil Kane face. Exactly. I think the body of Thor actually reminds me a lot of uh, Rich Buckler. Yeah. A lot, actually. And yeah, he was also he was he was drawing Fantastic Four during this era. So mm-hmm. yeah. with yep. Joe Sinnott. Yes, absolutely. That was that was a again a, that was the first run of Fantastic Four that I that I bought. And uh, I love Joe Sinnott, and I love his inking. I yeah. love the futuristic city. The, the first You see a couple of them, but I really like the first one that you see in the first time window on page three. I just love the look of that. It's very, very cool looking, very futuristic. It, it almost looks like a Kirby Asgard. Yeah, you're right. Was that the FF run where Reed Richards became the brute? Yes. You, that was oh, Actually, by the time that happened, I think it was George Perez. Oh, I think okay. there were two. There were two stories where he became the brute, and the second one was dropped by George Perez. On that cover, uh, that is an awesome cover. But I looking at Thor's, uh, Thor's form. I don't think he'll make it in Major League Baseball with that. <laughs> not with that stance. It's going to be hard to get a lot of power behind that hammer. Plant your feet. He's got his toe in the ground. What's wrong with you? He's got the that back leg kind of twisted under him. Yeah, it looks like he's about to fall over. Uh, yeah. I, I think this dinosaur actually is the same dinosaur that Spider-Man fought, and that is, <laughs> is his uh, second appearance, maybe. Oh, not another superhero. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it's like, no! Speaking well, it, of the dinosaur, the only other note I had on this one was uh, page 15. You know what's wrong with this page? Uh, well, they're standing on clouds, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's what's wrong with it. Not a damn thing. 
I love this page. <laughs> it's awesome from beginning to end. I think it's just great. True, they are fighting on a cloud, but I can forgive that. Especially the the th- the uh, three panels at the bottom, and where you the got sound Thor effect. like leaping into the battle. Then you got him cocking back his hammer, and then you've got him just just creaming that dinosaur with his hammer. It's great. I love this. And the dinosaur's going, "What did I do? What?" I know. The dinosaur is just trying to eat, and, and here he is getting clobbered. Um, there is one problem with the story that is is glaringly obvious reading it now, but I never, never noticed when I was a kid. And that is, why did they get attacked in the time stream? It wasn't the time twisters, because the time twisters barely seem to know that they're there. Uh, it's just all of a sudden they're being attacked for no reason. Yeah, I got no explanation for you. Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that uh, I never noticed it when I was a kid because the story was cool. But... Now I, I notice it's like, <laughs> just cause, cause, cause uh, John Buscema wanted to draw some stereotypical Mongols. <laughs> I know, drive Mongols, fighter jets, and dinosaurs. There you go, all in the same book. You know, hey. And you get this uh, this uh, dystopian future city. Uh, you know, I I, I never. I never really cared for the character of Zarko, I have to say, but only somebody as dumb as Zarko would would starve his society of power and hope and you know hope that they wouldn't attack him because of it. Uh, <laughs> I would think that uh, you know technological society of the future, who's uh, using horse-drawn carriages, would uh, be more likely to rise up. Um, and uh, without you know, give them their bread and circuses, give them their, you know, their MTV and their reality. Show. <laughs> they'll be, you know, they'll be happy, good little consumers. And uh, that's the way that you should pacify the populace. Um, instead, he's just like your classic tyrant, which I suppose is why he uh, loses in the end. Well, uh, at the bottom of page 30, it doesn't seem like the Warriors three really care. <laughs> no. And, and really, and, 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 about but, to get some. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's after having seen the squalor that his uh, people live in. They they just happily ignore that. <laughs> yeah, Thor, come, let us heed to the to thy palace, uh-huh. ere my stomach doth turn. All right, I'm feeling much better now. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> only only Thor actually says anything about it. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, the, well, you know, what are the inner generators of which thy people doth speak? Why hast thou left thy subjects without power? Why not? Yeah, well, yeah, because you know, well, Zarko says it's to keep them from rebelling. So, well, energy produces mobility. Mobility produces uh, communication. Communication produces dissent, and dissent produces rebellion. Thank Leads you to for the that. dark side. You, you would you would be a very good Zarko. <laughs> So needless to say, in the next issue, the uh, Time Trappers destroy the 50th and the 20th century, and that was the last issue of Thor. And they, oh. all, they all lived unhappily, not even, <laughs> and not even ever after. Yeah. But uh, I, I, would say, I would say that the story is very typical of the stories of this era, um, and especially you know, they're bringing back the sort of second-rate villain and trying to, to get him up as some kind of a, a bigger threat than, than he actually was. Um, I love the fact that they're using a Marvel team-up story as continuity. If you remember, those stories were generally pretty dire. I loved Marvel team-up back then. I that loved wasn't it. not one of the better issues, though. 
No. Um, I like the way that uh, Bissema draws Hogan. Uh, it, it has this you know, really uh, this barbaric look that, that a lot of the other artists didn't give him. It's, it's hard to tell the difference between him and the uh, Mongol warriors. Mm-hmm. Except they don't draw him to be yellow. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, a little maybe... jaundiced, you know. They, they just need more fruit in their diet. That's what it is. There you go. All right, any other thoughts on this issue? Okay, yeah. I guess we'll close this one out. <laughs> uh, so. Now, Bill, it's time for your issue. Uh, Crickets? Yeah. yeah. I got nothing. Uh, then we might as well go to Scott. Aha. All right, here we go. So, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever done this on any show I've ever been on, so I wanted to briefly give my Thor origin story. I'm sorry, we're and, all out of time. Oh, <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> Can I have a bathroom break? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I was trying to decide exactly which issue I would pick because I had a number of them to choose from. The first issue of Thor I ever read, I'm not sure what issue number it is. All I can remember in it is that New York City was getting hit with a snowstorm. And Thor went out to assist with the snowstorm. And it was about as exciting as that sounds. And so Thor didn't make a hell of an impression on me as a kid. I thought, nah, this guys he's he's kind of a girly man. And yeah, he's helping out with a snowstorm. So I wasn't impressed. And the, the, the next issue I bought quite a while later was the one, and I bought it only because it had an awesome Sienkiewicz cover on it, was when uh, Thor fought Dracula just prior to the Simonson run. And I thought that was really good, but I got it for Dracula. I didn't get it for Thor. And then I remember as kids going to you know the local, uh, we, we got our comics from a cigar shop. And Chris Honeywell was buying Thor while I was buying whatever I was buying. I don't know, Batman or whatever. And I remember kind of making fun of him about it. Like, really? You're reading that? Thor? Thor sucks, you know? And he's like, no, no, dude. It's really, it's really, really good right now. And he kept trying to tell me how great it was. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. And then years later, he ended up selling off a whole bunch of his comics. And I ended up acquiring a lot of them. And what I got was his entire Thor run, which, of course, was the Simonson stuff. So when I was in the service, one day I was bored and I'm just working my way through, you know, stacks of comics. And I came across those Simons and Thors. I'm like, well, the art looks really good, but I really don't like this character. Sat down, started reading him. Hooked. Loved it. Thought it was awesome. But I really, I just, I read through that stuff. And then Chris was missing a few issues toward the end of the Simonson run. So I tracked those down and I really enjoyed it. But as soon as the art team and, and everybody changed on it, I, I bailed. I was just wasn't really interested in following on because it just it, it seriously tapered off after Simonson left. So it was a good number of years went by, and you know I just kind of ignored the character. And then, you guys remember when Walmart actually used to sell comics? They used to have uh, like really nice comic book sections where they had like comic supplies and bags and boards and all kinds of stuff. At least our local one did. I sure don't remember. And uh, they had these packs. They were almost like, they were very similar to how they slab comics these days. It was like these hard plastic cases 
and it would be packs of comics. And I forget how many issues were, and I want to say like six or eight issues, all packaged up, reduced price. And but it would be runs, you know, it'd be like six or eight like consecutive issues of a book. And I'm not sure exactly what issue it was. I think it might have been Thor 389, maybe. But I remember whatever issue it was, the the cover was really dynamic. It was either that one, or it was the one about the Thor of the future. Um, I can't remember, but it was a really dynamic cover, and it just caught my eye. And those packs were really cheap for you know for that time period. I want to say they're like I don't know, like four or five bucks. But you got like something like eight issues or something in there, so it wasn't too bad. And just because I, I liked the cover on the first one, I could see, I thought, well, what the heck, I'll buy it. So I, I bought it and was instantly hooked. I was like, wow, this is really good. And all the issues in there were the classic DeFalco Friends run. And I love both those guys. I think Tom DeFalco is an excellent writer. I think he's very underrated. And I've always been a, a Ron Friends fan. So I was hooked. So thinking back on that, on exactly like what really hooked me on being a Thor fan, it was really, as much as I loved the Simonson stuff, it was really that later run with DeFalco and Friends that really sucked me into the character. So I wanted to pick a book from that, uh, from that era. So I picked Thor number 388. And I really enjoy this issue a lot. It's got a, a really nice cover on it. It's Thor, and he's dressed in... What I always think of is kind of his Russian armor. I always think this outfit of his looks very Russian for some reason. It was the armor, the Asgardian armor that he wore right near the very end of the Simonson run. Now, in that run, he had a full beard and everything. Here, he's actually clean shaven, but it's that same armor, you know, with the gold leggings. He's got kind of a Captain America style tunic and uh, just a really neat look for him. And looming over him with a great big hand is one of the celestials and the cover just says alone against the celestials against like a star field with rocket ships and stuff it's just a really really dynamic cover i always thought this was a great cover on this one was this was this the armor he was wearing to keep his body together yeah yeah that's right yeah something had happened like hella had touched him and made his bones brittle or something like that yeah. so he was wearing that while he healed up or yeah that's right i'd forgotten about that well, you're right the curse, the curse of Hela was that uh, he's he would never heal, and so he had to uh, protect himself with the armor. And then he got into this uh, epic battle with the with the destroyer that ended up turning him into like a pudding. Right. That's oh, right. Yeah. yeah. That's and right. then he went in. Didn't he go in into the destroyer after that? Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that yeah. was the last uh, story arc of the Simonson Road. Yep. That's right. So this is. Uh, Cover dated February 1988. It was actually on sale. This is according to Mike's Amazing World of D of uh, yeah, I almost said DC Comics. Mike's Amazing World of Comics uh, on sale October 27th, 1987. Original cover price was uh, 75 cents. Cover, of course, by uh, Ron Friends with inks by Brett Breeding, and they also do the interiors on this. The other credits are, of course, uh, Tom DeFalco was the writer. Got John Workman was the letterer, uh, George Russo's colored it, and Ralph Macchio was the Karate Kid. And <laughs> the story is entitled, once again, Alone Against the Celestials. So first, a little backstory on this one. Last issue, Thor crash-landed on the planet Pangoria, where he was saved by Pegasus, the Pirate King. Realizing Thor feels indebted to him, Pegasus 
Sixthor on Arishem, the Celestial, who had come to Pangoria and passed unfavorable judgment on the planet and its population. But Thor's attempts at communication and eventually confrontation with the 2,000-foot-tall space deity, uh, deity were totally ineffective. And just as Thor was recovering from his failure, a being ten times Arishem's size descends from the sky. This is Exodar, the exterminator, and he has arrived. So that's where we pick up with this issue, 388, with Thor standing atop a rock peak, staring in utter shock and dismay at Exodar and trying to formulate some plan of action. After a sensational two-page splash that is not only beautiful to behold, but also catches the reader up on pretty much everything he or she might need to know about the story up to this point, we cut to Pegasus, the Pirate King, and his assistant, Myla, who kind of looks like a cross between Stiletta from Hex and Lila from uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Turns out that uh, Pegasus isn't what he seems. He doesn't give a damn about Thor, much of anybody else for that matter and is using Thor's nobility, honor, and senses of indeptitude to uh, hopefully buy time for him to escape. So while Thor attempts to, at best, distract the Celestials, Pegasus is going to beat feet off-planet and live to be a dick another day. So Myla, she feels really bad about this because she developed the hots for Thor like real super fast last issue, <laughs> but she's kind of keeping silent for now. So meantime, Arishem and Exitar erect a barrier around the planet to prevent anyone's escape as they prepare to carry out the death sentence. Pegasus tries to leave, but a goodly portion of his fleet is lost as they plow right into the barrier, and he is reluctantly forced back to the surface. Mighty Thor, tinier than a flea to the awesome Celestials, nevertheless takes to the skies in an attempt to thwart their plan. Landing atop Exodar's helmet, Thor whirls. Bleh, I can't talk. Thor whirls Mjolnir overhead faster than the eye can see, actually ionizing the air, and develops his most, uh, or delivers rather, his most powerful kawakathum. <laughs> I love the sound effects. A blow literally fell around this planet. Alas, all he's managed to do is put a very small hole in the battle armor of the giant, but it's enough for Thor to slip inside, and he's intent on clobbering the actual unprotected noggin of Exodar once he's inside. But to Thor's dismay, the nature of the Celestials is even stranger than he could have imagined. Instead of an enormous cranium, Thor only finds this weird Ditkoverse full of flying batwing jellyfish and floating wads of pre-chewed bubblegum and stuff like that. He even has a little Spock moment from Star Trek The Motion Picture where he mind melds with V'ger, or Exodar in this case, and learns that he is, uh, that Exodar, rather, is capable of existing in several locales at the same time. And this explains something of the nature of Celestials and how Arishem could have been on Earth in Thor number 300, but also here observing this planet for the required 50 years before passing judgment, both at the same time. It kind of fixes a continuity error. So while this is going on, Pegasus orders his fleet to attack Exodar, and then he flees the scene. And Myla is horrified because Pegasus uh, explains that he's only doing this, again, hopefully to buy himself time to devise a plan of escape. He doesn't care how many people die so long as he survives. So after weathering an antibody attack that destroys most of his armor, 
and leaving him looking a lot like how Superman would look in Action Comics Annual Number uh, 2 about 14 months from now. Thor battles on, breaching membrane after membrane inside Exodar's helmet until finally coming to what he assumes passes for the brain of the creature. But before the Odinson can act, he is viciously attacked and beaten by a massive brute. Now, I want to actually read some of the dialogue in this because I think it's awesome. So the thing smashes Thor to the ground, just pummels him, and then it belts him across the room. And Thor's thinking to himself, never before have I felt felt such uh, irresistible power, such indescribable force. And then the thing like roundhouses Thor, knocking his helmet off, sending him across the room. And he says, he doth batter me about as if I were not but a helpless leaf in a raging storm. A great panel of Thor, uh, like trying to pick himself up, essentially looking really beaten. And he says, "This th- is this the end which fate hath ordained for me, an ignoble death at the hands of this nameless, unliving brute." And this is where this story gets awesome, in my opinion. Great panel of Thor, half of his face is in shadow. You can really just see his eyes, and a great, like, determined, almost maniacal look in his eyes. And he says, nay, I say thee nay, I have come too far, suffered too much. In the next panel, you've got Mjolnir bouncing off the creature's face. And and Thor is screaming, I will not fail. And he picks up Mjolnir again. He's just laying into this creature. He's got Mjolnir cocked like he's just going to bash this thing in the face. He says, the blood of almighty Odin doth flow within my veins, the spirit of eternal Asgard. Asgard. (laughs) Just developed a lisp there doth burn within my heart for I am the thunder. And he actually smashes the thing in the face with his hammer. And you can see like the back of the thing's brains blowing out. Like he's just put his hammer right through the thing's head. He says the Lord of lightning, the God of the storm, I am Thor. And then after he's beaten the thing, he's kind of wiping his brow and he says, I, I am Thor. And his foe is defeated But his strength is waning, so the god of thunder wraps his enchanted mallet, Mjolnir, in his legendary belt of power and channels his very immortal life force through the hammer with catastrophic results. The brain dome is cracked, but at what cost? And again, I just want to read the dialogue here. It's awesome. So Thor's laying there on the ground. He's really whipped. And he says, but at what cost? What terrible cost? And he goes over and he's cradling the pieces in his hand. He says, Mjolnir could not withstand the strain. My faithful weapon is no more. And he looks like it doesn't really show it, but it looks like it's easy to imagine he's actually crying in this part, which is understandable. And he, he takes part of his cloth off of himself and he says, nevermore will it summon my storm or carry me into battle. Nevermore. I must gather every loose fragment, every shard. It was a gift for my beloved father, a sacred relic entrusted to my care. It is my solemn duty to return it to Asgard. And he hears the creature coming up behind him. Only this time, it's a whole army of these things that he just fought. And he says, all determined to prevent me from reaching the shattered dome and completing the destruction of the celestial's brain. And then you see him as this great panel where he's holding his hammer, except there's no head anymore on the hammer. It's it's just the hilt and the thong. That's all there is to it. But he's still charging into battle, determined to, to do his best to fight these things, despite the fact that 
he doesn't really have his hammer anymore. He says, if this is the day that destiny hath marked for my death, so be it. But no matter uh, how overwhelming the odds, no matter how hopeless my cause, never will I surrender or yield to despair. I will fall fighting as a warrior born for the honor and glory of Asgard. And that's where the story wraps up. This was a three-part story. This is essentially that that exciting middle chapter, that that Empire Strikes Back chapter. And I remember reading this for the first time, just thinking, "Whoa!" I mean, I you never saw a guy look so whipped. I mean, he's all scarred and burned and cut up, and he's lost his most powerful weapon. He's hopelessly outmatched against the Celestials. How in the hell is he going to survive, let alone triumph? And I don't want to spoil anything. If you've never read this story before, I want you to seek it out because I think this is, honestly, I think it's his best moment. I think this uh, this is just a hell of a great comic book story, regardless of if it's, you know, who it is. But when it comes to Thor, I mean, it's, it's just a great Thor story. And uh, that's my issue. What do you guys think of this one? <laughs> bravo, bravo. So I like this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody had to go in. Go yeah. ahead, Tom. You go ahead. This is this is definitely a good issue. This is uh this is an era that I haven't covered yet. I love how uh actually you really can favorably compare this artwork here to the John Buscema art that we just covered. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of the John Buscema influence in here. And a lot of this stuff by um, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends, you can see you know, Ron Friends is channeling Kirby with Absolutely. all the might. But this one is is definitely not that. It looks kind of like uh, the Buscema stuff. Um, I have to say, I have a little bit of a problem with the destruction of Mjolnir. I, I've always had a problem with the destruction of Mjolnir whenever it happens, but uh, this this is just kind of beyond the pale for me. Now, so I take it then this isn't the first time this ever happened. Well, it's the first time that the hammer got completely shattered. We had the uh, hammer get broken early on back in the Lee Kirby run. Uh, I th- believe while uh, Thor was fighting the uh, absorbing man. But then you he had him repair it. He went to a steel mill in Pittsburgh and repaired. That's right. I forgot <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh, there were there were later stories where where Mjolnir was damaged as well, and I think most notably in uh, Thor Volume Two in the Dark Gods Saga, where one of the Dark Gods, Paracus, kind of sliced a piece off of Mjolnir with his scythe. Um, so Mjolnir's been damaged a few times in the past, but. Not like this, and it's it's kind of uh, in the in the Thor volume two. Thor just kind of stuck that piece back on. It was almost like it was magnetic and stuck back to the rest of it, and then it was fine. But uh, in this case, I, I don't know how long this lasted. I haven't read these issues. I I, I hesitate to spoil it only because I, I want people to seek this story out if if they haven't ever read it. Um, if you want me to tell you after the show, I'll be happy to tell you. Um, <laughs> I, definitely, I, I think I'm going to live up to your hopes on that This because I would like to follow up on this. And this came in the stretch when I was not collecting comics at all. So this is all brand new to me. And and I, I like the artwork in the story. I like the story. I like the scope of it. 
it's just overall just really good stuff, and uh, I definitely want to follow up on it. So, you know what? You know one one of the things I really like is after the hammer is destroyed, when the humanoids are coming after him, each one of them is carrying its own hammer. Ironically, right? Yeah, because they. My guess it's never really explained, but my guess is they're emulating him now. Well, they're yeah, considering they they all look like Mjolnir that they're carrying too. Yeah. So my guess is that they're almost like like adaptoids, and so they've adapted to the situation, and now they all carry like their own simulated version of Mjolnir. What's funny is the next issue, he beats the hell out of one of them and takes their hammer to replace his own for a while. It's great. Give me that. I don't like the armor that he was wearing at this point. I just don't like the overall look of it. It just seemed to me a little bit overdone. Then, then at the end, when you know you, you talked earlier about this, is he had to wear the armor because his body had been beaten so badly, and yet the armor gets torn off of him, and he's still heading into battle. Is that right? Because... No, he's healed by this point. Oh, okay. Uh, when the, the shot from behind, it looks kind of like he's wearing a golden diaper. <laughs> <laughs> I forget why he was out in because at the beginning of the issue prior to that, because I didn't go back any further than the prior issue because that's where this saga starts. But at the beginning of the prior issue. He's out in the middle of space and he's dying because he can't he can't breathe out in space, which I thought didn't affect Thor. But in this particular story, it did. So I don't know what was going on, but he's starting to pass out from oxygen deprivation. And he orders Mjolnir to basically drag him to a star that he can see off in the distance. And that's when he ends up crashing into this planet. It's when he decides that he has to stop Arishem that he goes into this like knapsack that he had with him and pulls this armor out. So he wasn't regularly wearing this armor in the issues at this point. He was wearing his classic look. Um, but just knapsack. for this... What was, what was it, a bag of holding or something? He says that spare armor in there? Well, what's funny is that even though this is first, reading it again really strongly reminded me of the uh, Exile storyline from the post-Crisis Superman, if you guys are familiar with that, because Superman goes off into space, and at that point he couldn't breathe in space, so he had the little oxygen mask, and he took just a few things with him while he like went out into space to basically find himself. And there's such strong parallels between these two stories that it's really weird. But this one was the one that came first. I looked it up, and this this one was first by about a little over a year. But just really interesting. But yeah, he uh, he he just happens to have that armor with him, which makes me think: was he out in space to get cured from that condition? And while he was out there, he found something because I can't remember how he got cured of that. I know he did. I just don't remember how it happened. Uh, he, the, he was restored in uh, in the at the end of the Simonson run. So, oh, okay. So the one by the time that uh, you know Tom DeFalco took over, that had all been undone. And the only thing that the Tom DeFalco did in the, the first, his first issue was he had Thor shave his beard off. Right. Yeah, because he had the beard because his face was scarred. Right. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Right. Yeah. Hella he, had grabbed his face, and and it was supposedly horribly scarred, though we never actually saw his face. But right. he got better. Doesn't Hella cure him because he confronts her as the destroyer? Yeah, he uh, he actually kind of barged his way into into hell as the destroyer, and uh, and was gonna destroy Hella, and so Hella lifted her curse. I give, I give. Yeah, basically, I like the uh, 
the nods here to uh, the movie Fantastic Voyage. We have with you know Thor being attacked by the red blood cells mm-hmm. that happened mm-hmm. in the movie, um, and you know he kind of defeats them in much the same way they did in the movie with with electricity. Um, I like the uh, the the antibody guys, you know, the the ones who made the hammers, kind of coming after them. That uh, I do kind of like. That's a nice touch. Though what they're crawling out of, I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like this giant colon or something. It's a hedge hedge sphincter. Everybody's got one. Oh yeah, okay. That's also I'm, <laughs> that's uh, disgusting. On uh, page on page ten, I think I see Doctor Strange there in the background fighting uh, the Dread Dorma movie. <laughs> Going back to, I see. I love the opening splash. I'd love a poster of that. I can see why other people might not like this armor. I love it. I think it's uh, the only thing that, you know, the only criticism I have of this is that by having Thor be clean shaven and wearing that, I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's friends. I think he he looks a little too Superman. So I, I wish there was something a little more Nordic going like, you know, having the beard back, I think would be perfect right here. But I really do like that armor. I don't know that I'd want him to wear it all the time. I liked it in this because it was a special occasion. You know, he donned it specifically for this battle, which I thought was cool. No, no doubt he kept it uh, compressed in a hidden pocket in his cave. Something, yeah. <laughs> see, that's the thing is if he was already cured at this point, now I'm really... See, I'm going to have to read this whole run again to figure out why did he have the armor with him out in space? That I, I just can't remember why he had it. Maybe it was just I'd a like fashion choice. Yeah, and I'd like to know how he got it in the bag, too, because they actually show him making this armor back in the Simonson run and mm-hmm. actually hired the steel mill, the same steel mill where he fixed Mjolnir back in the 60s and and created this armor from scratch. So it's like real blacksmithed armor. Hmm. Kind of tough to compress into your cape, then. Yeah, well, but, but he's Thor, so. Yeah. What's uh, what's everybody's feelings on uh, on Ron Friends? Love it. You like Friends? Uh, yeah, I, I. I'm really I, I like. It's it's. I guess like Tom was saying, it's kind of got a little mix of everything in here. It's got a little bit of uh, the the Buscema feel, a little bit of Kirby, and and yet it doesn't feel like it's a copying either. Right. You know, it it it's it's almost like he took inspiration from them but he doesn't copy them and i i really like that and uh the the story is very visual visually exciting in the way it's put together Mm -hmm. so i i just think it's it's very very well done all around and this and it's it's complex without being one of these incomprehensible stories so all overall writing and art I, i really like it I was just going to ask you what your your feelings were on DeFalco. I, I I'm hit and miss on DeFalco overall, but in this issue and hopefully this whole run, from the way you're talking about it, uh, I, I definitely like it in this issue, and I get the feeling I'm going to like it in the whole run. I I love this run. I think this run is fantastic. There are a couple clunkers because this is also the run, if I'm not mistaken, where there's that god awful uh, the the Grunk. That's that stole Christmas or whatever, where he essentially <laughs> Thor battles the Grinch, which is really, really stupid. But for the most part, a lot of it's like this. And a lot of it 
was a very intentional callback to those early, you know, Lee and Kirby days and some really fantastic stuff. You know, they brought back a lot of the the classic villains and things like that. And, and it was just, I thought it was a great, great run and really informed a lot of my knowledge and, and love of the character, uh, you know, came from this particular run. Now, who, who inked this one? Uh, Brett Breeding on 380. I'm not sure if he did the entire saga, but I know he did this particular well, issue. On this issue, I think he deserves a fair amount of credit, too, because a lot mm-hmm. of the fine work here is really nice, and you got to figure that fell to him. Right. So It, it, it is very, very reminiscent of uh, Joseph. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think so, too. These three issues, uh, 387, 388, and 389, that form this entire story, because this is a three-story arc, was reprinted as uh, a trade paperback back in 92. It was called uh, Alone Against the Celestials was the name of it. So you can find it that way, too. I highly recommend it. I think it's great. I'd love to see this be one of the Thor movies, as a matter of fact. They would have they would have to go into all this explanation of the Celestials, though. <laughs> That's true, but I think that could be a lot of fun. I think that it, you know, it, as they get more and more cosmic all the time, I think that could be a lot of fun. You could I even kind of go with that a little bit, introduce them almost in like a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, mm-hmm. and then come back to them, you know, and, and almost have them as be a throwaway kind of thing in a Guardians movie, and and just have it lead to bigger and better things later. Mm-hmm. They they could have one of the Celestials step on Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> Squish, yeah, <laughs> that's the other roadkill. Uh, but uh, no, I I think it's really interesting the choice they made with uh, the DeFalco friends run to get as far away from the Simonson stuff as possible. I thought that was a really interesting choice, trying to go a little bit more retro, and and it was kind of bucking the trend that the other books were going towards at the time because you know this is right at the time when Marvel is starting to go into the extreme nineties. And uh, this is uncharacteristic of that era of kind of looking back. Yeah, because after this, before they do the reboot, um, didn't he go back at one point? He's fighting the Egyptian gods. He's fighting Set. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I remember that run. Um, yeah, that's not long after this. Right. What's also interesting to, for me is that uh, this run with these guys ended because you know there was a time where where thor went away and eric masterson took over as thor so he was Mm -hmm. thor for quite a bit toward the end of their run and then toward the you know at the very end of it thor comes back and thor's himself again but much like spider-man with the clone saga then people had you know some people had formed an attachment to eric masterson so now what to do with him Thunderstrike. So he goes off and he becomes Thunderstrike, and that's where these guys went. They follow him to that book, and then I forget who the next team was that took over. The art really wasn't very good, but the stories were okay. But I didn't follow all of that. That's where my next big gap of Thor is between the end of this run and then when... Uh, I can't remember who the writer was, but... Um, um, oh my god, now I'm going to draw a blank. But basically, the last team to work on the book right before cancellation... Uh, Diodato, that, that's the artist's name, Diodato came in. So they went off and they worked on that. And, you know, it pains me that Thunderstrike has become one of those 
90s things that people like to rag on a lot. I liked that book. I, I really enjoyed that character and everything. And granted, it didn't work out. I mean, the, the book, I think it lasted two years and then, you know, they unceremoniously just kind of bumped him off and everything. Well, yeah, because he actually, what, he got such, uh, he sort of got like a blood curse. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But uh, at the time, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Now, Thunderstrike ran for 24 issues. Right. But, I mean, at the time it was coming out, I enjoyed that book a lot. I really did. I I liked that character and everything. And like I say, it just kind of pains me when I hear people, you know, just make fun of it like, you know, like it wasn't any good. And a lot of times I often wonder, you know, gee, did you even read that book? Because it actually wasn't so bad. And, you know, I always thought the, uh, the writing and the art were really solid on that. But. Like I say, I enjoy these guys as a team anyway. I think they're one of the more uh, underrated comic book teams. And it was funny, as I was reading this and really enjoying the heroic elements of Thor and everything, I was thinking, man, I'd love to see these guys doing Superman. And then I was like, wait, duh. Aren't they the team that's doing Superman Beyond right now? If that, I'm not sure that book is still running, but I know that it was out there for a while, and I think they were the guys doing that. And I have a run of that, like maybe like the first dozen issues or something, and I have yet to read it. So I'm going to have to go check that out just to kind of recapture that, that feel because I really do like these guys. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that book or not. Does that take place in the Batman Beyond universe? I think so. Because he's got the the, uh, the black and white I think outfit. It's a black and white outfit, yeah. And he's an older Superman. That's one of the, one of the digital only releases, right? Oh, is that what it oh, is? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, I have it in CBR, but I, I don't really know that much about it other than you know I, I remember thumbing through you know the first couple of issues, going, "Ooh, I really like the art," and I think it is DeFalco as the writer on that, if I'm not mistaken. But like I say, I like these guys together, but. I, I will agree with you that some of their stuff is hit and miss because try as I might, I could never quite get into Spider Girl, and that was much lauded. You know, same team, and a lot of people really, really liked that. And there were all those campaigns to save it, and it went on for what, like a hundred and something issues. But I have almost a complete run of that. But every time I sit down to read it, it just there's a disconnect there somewhere. It just fails to keep my interest for more than a couple issues at a time. So I, I still have yet to read the whole thing. Unfortunately, I have the same kind of reaction to, to Tom DeFalco on uh, Legion Lost, um, the, the, the book that had a lot of promise. But as soon as he took over, I think he just didn't get the characters mm. and it's kind of withered. Wasn't he the one that was the writer on the tail end of FF just before it got rebooted for um, Hmm. Uh, the oh, what was the X Men villain that was Onslaught? Onslaught, yeah. Was yeah. it was writing that the No One Gets Out Alive or whatever it was called? Nobody gets out alive. Was that where Reed disappeared for a while? Yeah, they that was actually back. a pretty decent run, if I remember. Yeah, I right. love that. I thought it was it was uh, it wasn't Friends. It was um, Paul Ryan, who I also think is a really good and very underrated artist. But I was digging that too, and that's one of those ones I, I need to go back and finish it because. I can't remember what happened now, but there was one. I was reading it. I was following it regularly. It was in my pull, pull box and everything, and I was following it. 
And then there was something happened. There was one story that just like seriously pissed me off. And I was like, oh, that's it. I'm done with this book. And I dropped it. And I've never gone back to f- see how the story resolved or, or if it did at all. I, I really don't know. It did. And, it, and yes, it was DeFalco. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Like I say, most everything I've ever read from him, I, I really dug um, with the exception of that Spider-Girl stuff. I just I just couldn't get into it somehow. I, I seem to remember him being heavily involved in the Spider-Man clone saga. And maybe he might have been the editor on that. He might not have been the writer, but that was such a hot mess because not because the story was so bad, but because they dragged it out way too much. Uh, that that left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he ended up taking kind of the fall for that, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he? I, I I seem to remember him as kind of the guy who gets the most heavy criticism over it. Mm-hmm. And and I I mean I get the feeling it's it was more of a corporate driven decision to drag it out and make it into a major major event when you know probably should have been five or six issues instead of what however many they made it. Yeah, I always liked him though. I always thought he was uh, I always thought he was a re- really good writer because he he had a feel for this classic Lee style storytelling. You know whether it was Marvel or whether it was DC, his, mm-hmm. his comics, no matter what you know what era it was, what characters they were that he was dealing with, just felt like a real throwback to my era. You know, early '80s style comics telling, you know, storytelling, and I, I really I like that sort of thing. Now, didn't DeFalco take over as editor in chief at Marvel when Shooter left? For a while, yeah. Yeah, and I like see I liked that era. I thought he was doing a really good job, and I liked him too because he continued, uh, you know that I don't know if you'd call it a tradition necessarily, but he carried forward the thing that you know Stan Lee has kind of established of you know having an actual dialogue with your readership and and being kind of a face that they would know, and so that's why as a kid you know the three that I knew were were Stan Lee. Um, Jim Shooter and Tom DeFalco because DeFalco was out there and there were always those little caricatures of him you know, always smoking a stogie and everything and I, I just, you know, I liked that sort of thing but he always seemed very sincere and you could tell that he had a real love of comics and of these characters that he worked on and I, I think it really shone through in his work like I say, you know, not not infallible there were definitely things that he that he did that, you know like anybody, you know, there'd be some clunkers here or there, but for the most part, I mean, I really enjoyed his stuff. This this run on Thor, like I say, fantastic. Yeah, this uh, is one I'm looking forward to getting in, getting into in my show. Uh, just trying to explore this a little bit. How how do you uh, determine what you're going to cover on your show, Tom? Well, what I do typically is uh, <laughs> I just kind of pick at random. No, uh, that's not true. Uh, what I do is I, I kind of go for a while in a particular era. So for the beginning of the show, I was covering in you know chronological order from the very beginning. And then I realized, you know what, I, I want to cover something different. And I jumped ahead 18 years to the Simonson run. But since then, I've also done a, some of the minis. I'm doing one of the minis right now, which is uh, Thor Godstorm. Um, and uh, then I had uh, you know, a little piece of uh, Thor Volume 2 that I stuck in there. And I want to get some of the 
more of the eras involved. I'm going to start doing a little bit of the uh, Michael Straczynski stuff, the Thor Volume 3 stuff that mm-hmm. Oliver drew. they just gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to covering it. My intention is to cover it all. Um, and the other thing that I'm, I want to do more of is that you know my the advertisement for my show it's you know it's not just a thor podcast there's also other mythological characters that i want to cover so i want to be doing some of the hercules stuff i want to be trying to find some stuff that's not put out by marvel i I did a batman issue a while back i don't know if anybody's heard that there was a there was a a batman story from the uh, late 50s that had a thor character in it so i decided to cover that issue that's pretty cool yeah, yeah that's, that's so, kind of what we're trying to do with the Avengers. For if we ever get, if we ever get really rolling on it, it's just kind of <laughs> randomly pick what we feel like doing and just covering it instead of making ourselves slaves to some sort of consecutive order. Yeah, what I've been trying to do lately is discover a one story arc at a time. So I do, you know, do that story arc to the end or as much close to the end as you can, and then moving on to something else. And you know coming back to, to the rest of it a little bit later well, when we uh, when this episode gets posted I'll put a, a link to your uh, to your show in the show notes we thanks I appreciate that no problem is that it anybody got anything else on this before we wrap things up um, I think on page uh, 14 <laughs> at uh, Pegas stole Charles Dance's eye from the last action hero or maybe Charles Dance stole his eye. <laughs> yeah, sure did. <laughs> oh, and I was going to have a book, and I apologize to everyone. Uh, at a future date, I am going to do the book I was going to do here, which was going to be one of the one of the books from the Thor Frog series, which was uh, like Thor 361 through 364. I was going to pick one of those, but um, the fates were against me. And... Uh, I didn't have a skein in the in the grand skein of things, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. You are absolved. Thank you. See, ah, I feel much better. <laughs> well, I think you have to let. Uh, I think we have to let Scott off the Captain Canuck uh, hook now. Oh, good lord! Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess it's gone on long enough. Maybe he'll actually come back to the show now. <laughs> Scott's not a Captain Canuck fan, is he? No. See, the biggest Captain Canuck fan I know. <laughs> you know, he has Maple Leaf underwear. Ooh. Uh, How do you know that? Ah. Uh, okay, guys. <laughs> well, thanks for coming, Tom. Gotta go. Bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on, Tom. We really appreciate it. It's, it's yes. a pl- pleasure to have you on. It's great to be here, and uh, hopefully you'll have me back sometime again. We would Yeah, sure. To. Put the pressure yeah. on us. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to bribe somebody. Well, it's uh, you know we 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 accept PayPal or checks. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Well, seriously, no thanks again. I, I it, it really was a pleasure having you on. And thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.